Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind taking your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of 2 Chronicles chapter number 27. The book of 2 Chronicles and chapter number 27. We are continuing with our series of the lineage of Jesus Christ. And we have just left a very good king, King Uzziah, with the idea that as long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. And we took special attention to look at that word help, which is a special use, a word used in the book of Chronicles that dealt with the idea of supernaturally helping someone. And we could see throughout this passage how Uzziah was supernaturally helped. Now, Uzziah had reigned longer than any other king up to this point in either Israel or Judah, reigning 52 years. Now, reigning for 52 years, many people, this was the only king that he that they had known. This was the only person that they had known. And after this, of course, he had messed up towards the end of his life. His son began to reign. His son's name is Jotham. And the book of 2 Chronicles chapter number 27 speaks about this young man, Jotham. If you don't mind, notice with me if you don't mind, the book of 2 Chronicles chapter 27 and notice with me in verse number 1. 2 Chronicles 27 and verse 1. Jotham was 20 and 5 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was also Jerusalem, and the daughter was of Zadok. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father Uzziah did. Howbeit, he entered not into the temple of the Lord, and the people did yet corruptly. And he built the high gate of the house of the Lord, and on the wall of Orphel he built much. Moreover, he built cities in the mountains of Judah, and the forest he built castles and towers. He fought also with the king of the Amorites, and prevailed against him. And the children of Ammon gave him the same year a hundred talents of silver, and ten thousand measures of wheat, and ten thousand of barley, so much that the children of Ammon did pay unto him both the second year and the third. So Jotham became mighty because he prepared his ways before the Lord his God. Now the rest of the acts of Jotham and all his wars and his ways, lo, they are written in the book of kings of Israel and Judah. He was five and twenty years old when he began to reign, and he reigned sixteen years in Jerusalem. And Jotham slept with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of David, and Ahaz his son reigned in his stead. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we see about Jotham as we do a character study on Jotham on in 2 Chronicles 27? Notice with me in verse number 6, 2 Chronicles 27 and verse 6. Notice what it said about Jotham. He prepared his ways before the Lord. He prepared his ways before 
the Lord. And with the Lord's help, we want to do a character study on this King Jotham with this idea that he prepared his ways before the Lord. Let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. And we're thankful that the emphasis that you place here of the preparatory work people can do to seek after you, to make the decision to seek after you, that we know that no one follows you by accident. It is always a purposeful, intentional choice. And so we're asking that you would give us grace and that you would give us mercy, that you would open up your Bible in a special way and that you would open up your word and your work through your precious spirit. Lord, again, I dare not trust my own. I don't have the ability tonight but you do. So the best I know how, I surrender myself to you and ask that you do your own work tonight. Fill me with your spirit and that you be an encouragement to everyone who listens and help them to look at you and make the decision to prepare their own heart. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now as we hit this, we see this key phrase that Jotham prepared his ways before the Lord. Now, as we had mentioned before, his father was King Uzziah. And King Uzziah had reigned for quite a long time. And if someone in any type of kingdom reigns for a long time and has, because of the blessings that God has placed upon him, brings a great era of prosperity to a nation, when that leader dies... There's a great uncertainty that occurs. If you don't mind, hold your finger here and turn with me to the book of Isaiah chapter number 6. Isaiah chapter number 6. And I want you to see how this uncertainty had spread and what the answer to that uncertainty was. The book of Isaiah chapter number 6. Isaiah chapter number 6. And I want you to notice this quite common phrase, at least common if you hang around this church or me for any length of time. The book of Isaiah chapter number 6. Isaiah chapter number 6. And I want you to look for yourself in this phrase. Isaiah chapter 6. And I want you to start looking with me starting at verse number 1. And I want you to see about the uncertainty when King Uzziah died. We're going to cover this first. Notice with me in Isaiah 6, 1. In the year that King Uzziah died. Here's his period here. Now here's Isaiah as a young preacher. And he had served under Uzziah. And he himself is marking this as a big deal. In the year that King Uzziah died. For many years people had had their eyes on the king. And as they had their eyes on the king. They said well look the king's got things well in hand. The kingdom's well in hand. We have prosperity. We have everything we need. But when King Uzziah died, there was an uncertainty. There was an unsettlement. What do you do when you live in a world that's unsettled? What do you do when you live in a world that's uncertain, unknowns all about? Well, Isaiah chapter 6 gives the answer. Isaiah 6, 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I also, this is Isaiah, also I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. And above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. What is this that he saw? Well, in the king that Uzziah died, the answer is to look unto Jesus. 
to look unto God, to keep your eyes on Him. As the world is uncertain, the answer is always to look at the Lord. And when he looked at the Lord, what did he see? He saw the Lord sitting upon the throne. Now the position of God is very important here. Because when he's sitting on the throne, it tells Isaiah something special. It tells him that God has everything well in hand. You understand, they tell us that when we fly in an airplane, that when you start hitting turbulence, that you're supposed to look at the stewardess or, and the steward eye, or whatever you call those boys who fly. And you look at them, and you see how they're responding. And if the turbulence hits, and they're still serving drinks and passing out peanuts and still smiling, you know you're all right. But if you start hitting some turbulence and you watch them jumping to a seat and buckling up, you know that you're in trouble. Well, when you're in an uncertain world, you look at God. And you see his position. He is sitting on the throne. Everything is all right in my father's house. In my father's house. In my father's house. You understand when things are uncertain on this world, it doesn't affect heaven. God is still in charge. God is still there. And even though the rest of the kingdom was uncertain, God had everything well in hand. Notice as it goes on. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting on the throne, high and lifted up. Where was he sitting? He was sitting high and lifted up. He was sitting in a place where you can see him. And then it said, his train filled the temple. Now in the ancient world, when a king and a ruler uh, was in an official setting, they would wear a robe, a crown, or a, a train, a, um, a cloak. And the tradition was, is that the longer the train was, the longer that cloak was, the longer that the material that went behind him was, the more deserving of honor and glory that ruler was. Well, how big is the train? Well, the train is so big that it fills the temple. Can you imagine taking a piece of cloth and folding it over and over and over until it fills the entire room? That's how much glory and honor that is deserving to God. And he's sitting on the throne and the train fills the temple. He is sitting. He is worthy of all honor and glory and everything is all right. Notice as it goes on. What else did he see? And above it stood the seraphims. The seraphims are a special, unique, created angel. They are angels. They're called the burning ones. And notice how the Bible describes them. So often people get their imagery off of cartoons or some murals of something of some man's imagination. Let me tell you, angels do not look fat like fat little babies in diapers with wings. How do these angels look? Notice as they describe them. And above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face. And with twain he covered his feet. And with twain he did fly. What are these? These are special created type of angels. And they have three sets of wings. Three pairs of wings. Well with a set of wings they fly. We could get that. That's what we would expect to do with wings. But then they had a set of wings that actually covered the face of the angel. 
Why would they cover the face of the angel? Well, the purpose is, is that God himself is holy. God himself is above everything, including creation. The Bible describes that God has to humble himself, step down just to look at heaven. We're trying to get to heaven, but God has to humble himself to step into heaven. Why? Because he's above heaven. He's bigger than heaven. He created heaven. And these angels here, because they're standing in the presence of the creator God, and God is so holy that even these majestic, sinless angels cannot look upon the face of God. And they have to cover their eyes in the presence of God. You know, the Bible describes this, that no one can look at God in his full glory and live. In fact, there's only one creature in all of creation that is able to look upon God. And that is redeemed man. Man who is saved in his brand new body that God gives him. We are the only ones who will be able to look upon God and live. Because God has redeemed us and made us special. That is powerful, isn't it? That God allows us in the future when we get our brand new redeemed body. We're going to be the only ones who will be able to look at God with our own eyes. Well, we have three sets of wings on this angel. With twain they did fly. With twain they covered their face. But what is the other set? With twain he covered his feet. Why do they need wings to cover their feet? Well, again, they're in the presence of God and God is their creator. And in the presence of God, in order to recognize that he created me, this is a way of them humbling themselves and covering their feet. Now, I don't know about you, but I hate feet. They're nasty. They're ugly looking. I hate them. They're nasty. But you know one thing that feet do is they remind us that we are created. We are created. This is why when Moses stood before God at the burning bush, God gave Moses the instructions to take thy shoes off. Why? Because it was a sign of humbleness. His feet are exposed to remind him that he was created and he is standing before his creator. And so as Isaiah is looking at this, he is watching God high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. He watches as these special angels are taking care of God's business and they have three sets of wings. With twain they do fly. With twain they cover their face. And with twain they cover their feet. And their whole body language, their whole being is in the presence of God and they are humbling themselves before the creator God. What are they doing? Verse number three. And one, the one here is one of these angels, these seraphims, and one cried to another. So they're all together crying. What are they saying? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts and the earth is full of his glory. By the way, these very same angels are found later on in the book of Revelation. And what are they doing? They're saying, holy, holy, 
holy Lord God Almighty who is and was and is to come. Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty who is and was and is to come. These specially created angels are created to be humbled in the presence of God. But their only function is in the throne room of God to worship and praise God without stopping. They don't take breaks. They don't take vacations. They don't have replacements. This is their created function to praise God forever. And we see them still doing that job in the future in the book of Revelation for all those years. Praising God. Again, the attention's not on the angels. The attention's on God. That's how amazing God is. That's how big God is. That God is so big, His train filled the temple. That God is so amazing that there are special created angels whose purpose and function are to worship God without ceasing day and night. Saying, holy, holy Holy Lord God Almighty who is and was and is to come. Their purpose is to bring attention to God, not themselves. Now, how are they saying this? You know, some people seem to give off the impression that what they're doing is grabbing the microphone and getting up close and saying, Holy, Holy. But how are they saying it? Notice in verse 4. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried. How are they saying this? They're saying it with such enthusiasm. With such volume. With such passion. That they are in chorus saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who is and was and is to come. Holy, holy, holy. And as they're saying it, they're saying it with such force and such bravado that the doorposts are shaking with the intensity of their voices. Notice in verse 4. And the house was filled with smoke. This smoke here is a picture of the Holy Spirit. And the presence of God is thick in this place. And without a doubt, you know you are in the presence of God. Now, we start off here in this vision. We see the vision of God. Why do we have to keep looking at God? Because when you see God as He truly is, we see a second thing. We see ourselves As we truly are. When you stand in the presence of God. Something changes in you. And how you see you. Oh yeah? Well notice with me in verse 5. Then said I. Who is this I? This is Isaiah the prophet. The preacher used of God. What does he say at the vision of God? Woe is me. For I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. How did he see himself? He saw himself as a lowly sinner in the presence of a holy God. Let me tell you, it is very difficult to be egotistical and thinking you are a great and wonderful when you are in the presence of God. 
When you are in the presence of God, you realize how weak and frail and pathetic you really are. By the way, that is a good thing. Because we often see ourselves as greater than what we truly are. We like to think of ourselves as better than what we truly are. We are nothing more than sinners in the presence of God. And he says, I'm a man of unclean lips. He says, I'm a sinner. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. I live in the midst of other sinners. And I've seen God and I realize how filthy and dirty I really am. Verse number six. Then, one of, one, then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had given with the tongue, tongs off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth. And said, Lo, this has touched thy lips. Thine iniquity is taken away. Thy sin is purged. Now we understand this is imagery. He's having a vision here. He is relating some visual representations of literal things. What, what is going on? He recognizes that he's a sinner. How does he demonstrate? How does he articulate that he's a sinner? I'm a man of unclean lips. So, to take care of the sin, to continue with that imagery, we have to take care of the unclean lips. So, here is a holy thing from God that purges you from your sins. We're sinners and our sin needs to be taken care of. And God is the one who's able to provide that for us. He's able to take care of our sins. You know, when you stand before God, you realize that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. I can't save myself. I can't forgive myself. I can do nothing to myself. I need Jesus. I need Jesus. Then notice what happens. Verse number 8. He saw, first of all, a vision of God. Then he saw a vision of himself. Then in verse 8, he sees the vision of the work. Notice in verse 8, Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And whom will go for us? Let's pause here. Who is God talking to? He's not talking to Isaiah. He's talking to himself. Who shall I send? Who shall go for us? And notice what Isaiah said. Then said I, here am I, send me, I volunteer. You know, the wonderful thing is that when you see God for who he truly is, and then you see yourself as you truly are, and you realize that you're a sinner and that your only hope is Jesus Christ, then when he takes care of that sin, you don't need to have your arm twisted to serve God. You don't have to be begged to serve God. You out of a thankful heart are willing to volunteer and say, Lord, use me. Let me be used. Lord, you need someone. I'll do whatever you tell me to because I'm so thankful for what you have done for me. He sees the work as it truly is. That there was no begging. There was just obedience. There was a surrender. Where does a lack of surrender come from? A lack of the vision of God. Lacking seeing God for whom he truly is. As we go back to 2 Chronicles chapter number 27, let's see something on this. That in 2 Chronicles, we see that Jothan reigned during the ministries of Israel. He reigned, or he, when, he was, when he was king, the prophets that were there with him, Isaiah, Hosea, and Micah. These three prophets were all working during the reign of Jotham. 
through the preaching of these prophets, it helped Jotham to stay right in the sight of God, in the sight of Christ, and in the sight of the Lord, and not make the same mistake as his father. Notice with me in verse 2. And he, Jotham, did that what was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father Uzziah did. Howbeit he entered not into the temple of the Lord. Why is that a big deal? Remember his dad got so egotistical and got so thing, well, I'm so great, I'm going to go do the office of the priest. And remember he had all those priests saying, don't do it, don't do it. He says, get out of my way. And God struck him down with leprosy. Jothan, because of the preaching of Isaiah, Hosea, and Micah, said, you know, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to keep my eyes on God. And I'm going to allow God to do what he wants. And he tells me what to do. I'm going to trust in him. Now remember the phrase here, Jotham became a mighty, why? Because he prepared his ways before God. When the rest of the world was starting to get in turmoil, what was the answer for Jotham? To look at Lord, to look at God, to keep his eyes on him, to have the right vision of God. That was the answer. The second thing we want to see is that as he prepared his way, it profited the kingdom. As he prepared the way, it profited the kingdom. Well, in verses 3 and 4, it profited the kingdom physically. It talks about that he built much and he built castles and fortresses. He helped build up the country of Judah. And then in verse... um, Number, uh, hold your finger, um, you don't have to hold your finger here. Turn me with me, if you don't mind, to First Chronicles chapter number 5. First Chronicles chapter 5, and I want to show you something special. Now, most of the time when you get to the book of First Chronicles chapter 1 through 9, you go, oh, it's just a list of names, just get through here, I can't pronounce any of them. However, they're there for our learning, and there is so much you could learn from 1 Chronicles chapter 1 through 9. And if you don't mind, I'd like to show you one of these. We know that as he prepared his way, it profited the kingdom. That he prepared the kingdom, uh, as he prepared his way to follow the Lord, it profited the kingdom as it was built up. But notice this, he prepared the kingdom spiritually. As he prepared his way, it profited the kingdom spiritually. Notice with me 1 Chronicles chapter 5 and notice with me in verse number 17. All these were reckoned by genealogies in the days of Jotham, the king of Judah, in the days of Jeroboam, king of Israel. What is this saying? It said that the genealogies became part of scripture And they were prepared and organized during Jotham's reign. What is this a big deal of? Well, it reminded the people that they had a godly heritage and they had promises of God. And helped them so they would not forget that God had something planned for them. You know, when you start preparing your way to follow the Lord, part of that preparation should be preparing to follow after God spiritually. Preparing to follow after him. Knowing that he's given you promises. Knowing you have something to follow. Preparing your ways to follow the Lord. Which brings us to the practicality. How do we follow the Lord? How do we prepare our way from the Lord? Now, one of the charges, one of the accusations God gave to the evil kings is that they did not prepare their hearts to seek God. 
what does that mean? Well, the word prepared carries the idea of planning or forethought. To prepare to follow the Lord carries the idea to make a decision to follow after God and to put things in order so there's no excuse to follow through. Nobody follows God by accident. Nobody wakes up one morning and hears the alarm clock and then wakes up and goes, Hey, this is amazing. I've been accidentally following God for years. This is great. It doesn't work that way. To follow God is always a purposeful choice. And when you prepare your way to follow the Lord, it is to already set in motion decisions to follow after God. For example, we encourage our folks to on purpose make a decision to read their Bible. But just not decide to read your Bible. When are you going to read your Bible? Where are you going to read your Bible? For how long are you going to read your Bible? We encourage our folks to make a decision that you are going to pray. But not just pray. That when are you going to pray? How long are you going to pray? Where are you going to pray at? Making specific decisions. We encourage our folks to make a decision to go to church. What usually happens? People say, well, I have every intention to go to church. And by the way, that's a true statement. But they never make a decision to go to church. It's usually left empty. I will do my best to make it to church as long as nothing's in the way. I guarantee everything is going to get in the way. When people make a decision to go to church and they make it clearly, it is amazing how much sickness goes away. It's amazing how much schedules go away. It's, they have to make that decision. But that's all part of this making this preparation to follow God. You don't follow God by accident. It is done by a purposeful, intentional decision. With that, turn with me to the book of Ezra, chapter number 7. And let me demonstrate and show you this in the life of Ezra. <laughs> if you are in the book of 2 Chronicles, just turn to the next book. Second, uh, the book of Ezra, chapter number 7. Ezra, chapter 7. And I want you to see, as once again God uses and points out this phrase, He prepared His heart. Notice with me in verse number, uh, chapter 7, verse 10. For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and teach the statutes in Israel. He had prepared his heart. Now, one of the interesting characteristics about Ezra is that over and over, it gave the phrase that the good hand of God was upon him. And you're in chapter 7. Let me just demonstrate it three different places. Notice with me in verse 6. Ezra went from Babylon, and he was a ready scribe in the law of Moses, which the Lord God of Israel had given. And the king granted him all of his requests. Notice this. According to the hand of the Lord his God upon him. Notice with me in verse 9. For the first day of the first month, he began to go up from Babylon. On the first day in the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem according to the good hand of his God upon him. Notice with me in verse number 28. Which extended mercy unto me before the king and his counselors and before the king's mighty princes. And I was strengthened as the hand of the Lord my God was upon me. 
Three different times in one chapter, God is placing an emphasis that God's good hand was upon him. Have you ever met someone that had God's favor upon him? That God's good hand was upon him? That God was using him? Doesn't mean that he's perfect or holy. It's just that God had his favor upon him. How do you have God's favor? How is it that you can have God's good hand upon you? Well, verse chapter 7 verse 10 has the answer. For Ezra prepared his heart. What made him a ready scribe? What made it so he had the hand of God upon him? Because he prepared his heart. How did he prepare his heart? What does this mean? Well, notice in verse 10, there are three things that he prepared his heart to do. Notice with me in chapter 7, verse 10. For Ezra, first of all, prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord. What made him a handy scribe? What made him have the hand of presence, uh, God's good hand of favor upon him? Because first of all, he prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord. What does that mean? That means he made a decision that he was going to be in the Bible looking for God. He wasn't going to leave it by chance. I am on purpose going to find God in his Bible. That gives the idea that he's already made a decision. He's going to read the Bible. When he's going to be, read the Bible. Where he's going to read the Bible. What he's doing when he reads the Bible. Let me pause here. Do you know that not all Bible reading is the same? If you read the Bible like a newspaper, you're not going to get much out of it. You should read the Bible differently than a newspaper. How should I read the Bible? I should be looking for God. Remember the emphasis that's been placed over the last several weeks? As long as he sought the Lord, God prospered him. You should be looking for God in your Bible reading. How do I see God? He prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord. God, I want you to speak to me. I want you to show me. I'm looking for you. I'm looking for what you have me to do. I'm looking for answers. I am preparing. I'm on purpose going to read the Bible to look for you. Not just to read it to check it off for the day. Not saying, all right, well, a chapter a day keeps the devil away. That's a lie, by the way. He says, I'm preparing my heart to seek the law of the Lord. What's the second thing? Well, he prepared his heart. Notice this. For Ezra prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord. He prepared his heart to do it. You see, he already made a decision that whatever the Bible says, I'm going to do. You know, everybody who comes to church doesn't get the same thing out of it. There are some people that go to church just to take a nap. The preacher's just a good place to go ahead and catch up on Z's. Are they getting the same thing out of it as everybody else? No. Why not? Because they're doing something different. They're not preparing their heart to obey what is being told. If you're preparing your heart to obey, you're looking to see what you're supposed to obey. With the idea already that I'm not going to have it like Burger King have it my way. I am looking to see what God's going to tell me. And no matter what he tells me, I'm going to do it. Whether it was something I want to do or not. Do you know the Bible sometimes tells you to do things you don't want to do? Our flesh doesn't like to do lots of things. You can figure that out pretty quickly. But to be prepared that Lord, whatever you tell me to do, I've already made a decision. I don't know what you're saying today. I don't know what I'm going to read in the Bible. I don't know what the preacher is going to preach about. But whatever you tell me, I'm already saying yes to. You start listening differently if you're looking for something to obey, you're looking for something to do. 
What made it where he had God's hand upon him? Because he prepared his heart. He prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord. He prepared his heart to do it. But notice this, verse number 10. For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it. Notice this, Ezra prepared his heart to teach in Israel the statutes and judgment. You know, as a teacher, you are not successful when a student passes a text. You are successful when the student is able to teach someone else what they learn. This is the point. The reason why I'm preaching you to you now is not because I want to show you how smart I am. Because I'll fail miserably. What is the expectation? Why do I give people every year brand new notebooks? Because I want you to write it down to teach someone else. To take these things and to teach them. To show someone else some things that they need. Is there someone who needs to hear about Isaiah chapter 6? That the answer to their problem on certain days is to look at God. And when you see God as he truly is, you see yourself as you truly are. And see the work as he truly is? Absolutely. Are there some people that need to know that they can have God's hand of favor upon them? And how do I have it? By preparing my heart to seek the Lord. To prepare my heart to do it. And to prepare my heart to obey. Why don't some people have God's hand upon them? Because God can't trust them to teach what they've been taught. In your back of your Bibles, don't turn there, but you have a map section in most Bibles. And in the map section, you have a body of water that's found inside of the Israel area called the Dead Sea. Why is it called the Dead Sea? Because water runs into it, but there is no outlet. It goes there and stays. So the water evaporates, just leaves the minerals there. And it's now a place where there's so much mineral and so much salt that first of all, you can't drown normally in the Dead Sea because you float. So many minerals, it makes you float. But there's so many minerals and so much salt, nothing can grow in it. It receives everything in, but it doesn't let it go out. And it dies. There are so many Christians who sit in a church and they go, Oh, I love preaching. This is great. Oh, I'm learning so much. But they don't do anything with it. Ezra had the hand of God upon him because he prepared his heart to seek after God. He prepared his heart to obey what God told him to do. And he prepared his heart to teach others what was taught to him. God has an expectation that you are teaching someone else. You are telling someone about what God has done for you in soul winning. God is telling you about it in discipleship, Sunday school, giving you opportunities, friends, people who need to know. God gives you these things here at the Riverview Baptist Church, not to make you smarter, but to give you more materials to help someone else who needs to know. And if you are preparing your heart and say, you know what? God is expecting me to teach this material some way, somehow. You'll take notes differently. Because you want to make sure that you have what you need to do to communicate this to someone else. Doesn't mean that you have to be outlined like me. But there are some materials. There's some nuggets. What's the one thing that you could go tell someone else today about what you learned here? How does this work? Let me give you a historical illustration. 
In the London Metropolitan Tabernacle of, <laughs> in London, England, the pastor was Charles Spurgeon, who was known as the Prince of Preachers. And people have an idea that Charles Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers, who even today, hundreds of, uh, over a hundred something years after his death, is still the most bought author preacher of anyone, outsells everyone. Why? What, what made a big deal? They have an idea that because he was such a great teacher and a great orator that people flocked to the London Metropolitan Tabernacle to learn from him. And there was a couple years that may have been true. But what happened is that Charles Spurgeon would preach on Sunday morning. Then 3,000 people would take his Sunday morning message and preach it all throughout London and the surrounding areas the rest of the week. And everybody heard the message and responded. What would happen if that started happening here? That you start having a Sunday school or a, a, a teaching thing at work. Let me tell you what I was taught today. Maybe you tell a relative or whatever else. But you on purpose say, I'm going to find something that I could take and deliver to something else. It will change the way that you listen. And by the way, it will change how you are blessed. Who are you teaching? Who are you taking and explaining to someone else? Who has God given for you to explain these truths from? This is why we try to preach here, by the way, as simply as possible. We're trying to give you something that you can easily take and give to someone else. All of this has to do with preparing your heart for the Lord. Ezra was already a scribe who had God's hand upon him. Why? Because he prepared his heart. He made a decision on purpose to seek the law of the Lord. And to do it and to teach in Israel judgments, statutes, and judgments. So with this, we could see that Jotham, he prepared his heart to seek God. How is your heart? Is it prepared are you on purpose making decisions to seek after God, to read the Bible, to follow after Him? Or are you like most Christians, not evil, not bad, don't say I hate God, but if I get time, if I get around to it, I'll do it. Well, you'll never have the hand of God upon you. And you'll never be prepared. And you'll never follow God because it's a purposeful decision. You'll just be stagnant. And just floating around and miss out on all what God has for you. Ezra was a ready scribe. A good hand upon him because he prepared his heart to seek after God. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus. And I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308.
6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.